This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Rays Radio Network. Slice down the left field line. It's a fair ball. The Rays win it, and they have just clinched the number one spot. They have won the American League Wild Card. Welcome to Countdown to Opening Day. Swing at a ball, slice toward right, back Hernandez, onto the track, looking up, and it's gone! An opposite field homer! Yandy Diaz flexes his muscles, and the Rays win again in walk-off fashion. Coming up, we sit down with Rays players, coaches, and front office executives to discuss the latest news in Rays baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. And welcome to Countdown to Opening Day. Rays Radio is back on the air. I'm Chris Adams-Wall, and I'm joined now by the two voices of the Rays, Mr. Andy Freed and Mr. Neil Solons. Guys, it's been a long off-season, obviously, but uh, it blows by in the blink of an eye, as it always does. How long did it take you to get past the Rays' exit in the postseason, Andy, we'll begin with you. That was a tough loss to the Rangers, obviously. It only lasted two games. But the good news is we're about to start 2024 in just a couple of weeks, or we've already started it, really. Yeah, I wish it had been a shorter uh, offseason, to be honest. But the way I've made sense of it in my mind, and I'm curious how you guys feel too, it was a great season with a terrible ending. You know, we, we've all seen movies that we love and that the ending is so unsatisfying. That's pretty much how it was. To, to me, moving forward, what I think to take away from that postseason, in particular game one, was I think the Rays this year are a better defensive team than they were last year. And they were a good defensive team last year. I think they could be a really good defensive team this year. And the reason I bring that up is because game one was all about Poor defense. The, the Rays figured out somehow to have their worst defensive game in the season in their biggest game of the year. Why that happened, who knows? Was it nerves? Was it the pressure? Was it just by chance? It, it may have just been circumstance, but uh, I think defensively this team moving forward just has to be uh, probably better even than it was last year. Because if you look at even game one last year, if the Rays make the defensive plays, then Glassnow doesn't go just five. He probably goes six or seven. He really did not pitch a poor game. It's a shame to me, Neil, that that's his last uh, game as a Ray. It is, and and you know we'll have plenty of time during this show during spring training to get into all of that. For me, the biggest takeaway was what we always talk about every spring training was health. You know, I think it's understated that the last two years the Rays have been knocked out in two games, in large part because either half the lineup or close to it was either not in there because of various reasons or was it way less than full strength? And for me, it just comes down to, are you going to be held? If you're going to be a playoff team, and I still think this is a a raised team that's going to contend and hopefully be in the postseason for a sixth straight year, are you going to be healthy at the end of the year? I think that's critically important for this group if they want to advance further than they did last year and the the season prior. And of course, the Rays finally got 
those home playoff games, right? We were excited about it. Texas had to come all the way from Seattle and things were looking up. But so far, the Rays have gone 0 for 2 in the first two years of this new playoff format. So hopefully the Rays can just win the American League East this time. Then we don't have to worry about a best of three series. But let's talk about 2024. And let's talk a little bit more about the offseason because so much happened, as it often does, in Tampa Bay's offseason with lots of trades and some signings. Are there any moves in particular that you're excited about, Andy? We know that they lost Tyler Glass now and Manuel Margot, but the Rays gained Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca, among others. I look at the moves this offseason, uh, guys, and I'm obviously curious of all of your thoughts. I don't remember uh, an offseason like this where it's pretty much a direct overlap. The player that they traded, they got one back to have that spot and therefore give perhaps some freshness and a younger look to the group. I can think of other big season trades the Rays have made over the years, uh, whether it's uh, you know back uh, in 2008 to get Jason Bartlett and Matt Garza, uh, or the Chris Archer trade, both Chris Archer trades for that matter, coming and going. Uh, those were probably the big ones, but this offseason was okay. They traded Glass now. There's Pepio to slide right into that spot. They traded Margot in the same deal and got DeLuca back to go into that spot. Both guys younger, less experienced, but guys that appear to be major league ready just needed opportunities that they probably weren't going to get with the Dodgers and will get with the Rays. Uh, even in the, the, the shortstop situation, trading Rayleigh, uh, but getting Caballero and the Rays are going to need a shortstop. With the absence of Wander Franco and with Taylor Walls injured for a little while as he comes back, they need a shortstop, plug and play, ready to go, big league player, probably doesn't need any more seasoning. And then with with Rayleigh being traded too, then you've got Palacios, left-hand hitter to slide right in there. And, and all of this too is create the lanes for Curtis Mead and Jonathan Aranda, a righty and lefty respectively. So Neil, to me, it seems like it's a lot of plug and play compared to other years where maybe they were trading for young players that were saying down the line, these guys all should be major league ready players. I think the thing that, that stood out to me is of the acquisitions the Rays made on the position player side, Palacios, Caballero, and DeLuca, they're all high contact guys. And I think with the rule changes that we saw last year, the importance of guys who can be athletic and put it in play is valued even more. And all three of these guys can steal a base, have some pop, but also have the ability to put the ball in play and move the baseball and have pretty good understandings of their strike zone. And I think the way you grow as a group is is by having as much – I mean, the Rays hit home runs last year. Remember, for much of the year, they were right at the top of baseball in terms of hitting home runs, and they set a franchise record. But I think they've also added a little more contact ability, and I think hopefully that will help them not only in 162, but hopefully another October as well. And looking at this roster, guys, the core is in fact back for the most part. Josh Lowe will be returning. Randy Rosarena is back. Jose Siri is here. Taylor Walls will see. Will he be ready for opening day? That's something that remains to be seen. It's looking like he won't be, but that's why you go and trade for a guy like Jose Caballero. One of the positions, though, that remains a little in question, at least in the minds of some fans, is the catching position because Rene Pinto appears to be the guy who's going to start, at least at this point in time when we're talking, but who his backup will be still remains a, a question, right, Andy? You know, the, the term championship catcher is one that I learned quite a while ago, and, and I think the Rays have really hopped on thinking – 
with the audition of last year that Pinto is the guy that they can win a championship with as being a leadoff player and a guy from within the organization. When you think of the playoff teams for the Rays in 08 with Navarro and then on to the Kelly Shopping years and the Jose Molina years, those were guys that were really good catchers, defensively first and foremost, and got some offense from them. I think the Rays feel that Pinto has some pop in that lineup or has some pop in that bat that's going to add something to this lineup, a threat at the plate. I don't think they're expecting a tremendous amount of average. I think they're expecting some some power and some some ability to, to be a threat at the plate. You know, I think there were years with various players where they just weren't threats at the bottom of the order. I, I think Pinto will be a lower part of the order hitter, but I think he's a guy that can be a threat. I think of Zanino a couple of years ago, uh, what, in 21, where he wasn't going to hit for average, but he was a threat at the bottom of the order. You make a mistake and he was going to put it over the wall. Uh, and I don't know if Pinto is going to be a 30 home run guy, but I could see him being a 15 to maybe even 20 home run guy and has some power to the opposite field as well. I think what clinched it for him was that they saw how he developed defensively as a catcher. Backup-wise, Neil, I think that's one of the big questions coming into the spring. It is, but I think we saw two years ago that the Rays are not afraid to make changes in spring training. I mean, two years ago they acquired Harold Ramirez when all we heard was they needed a right-handed bat to balance out the lineup, and they did, and he's been terrific the last two years, and we'll see if he is for for a third. That remains in question. And then they got Isak Paredes for Austin Meadows right before opening day and then added him. So I I go into spring training anxious to see the the catching battle, who who's going to work with Renee, but I also know in the back of my mind there could be someone who we don't know who they can add, and we saw with Christian Bethencourt. The Rays are comfortable being uncomfortable, adding a catcher while a season is going on and and feeling that that guy can adapt with the people they have around him to learning a new staff. We can't wait to see what happens. Rene Pinto, throughout the majority of the offseason, has been the only catcher on the Rays 40-man roster, so we'll see how that battle plays out. Hey, you can sign up your little slugger for the Rays Rookies Kids Club for only $40. The MVP membership includes a free kids meal at every home game and discounts on tickets. Join today at RaysBaseball.com slash RaysRookies. That is going to do it for the three of us for now. We will go to a quick break, but when we come back, Neil Solons will sit down with Rays President of Baseball Operations, Mr. Eric Neander. You are listening to Countdown to Opening Day, and we'll be right back after this on the Rays Radio Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running with the Rays 5K is on Sunday, April the 7th. Fans can join in person or virtually. A portion of all proceeds benefit the Rays Baseball Foundation. Register at RaysBaseball.com slash 5K. Neil Solon's back with you on our Countdown to Opening Day show on this Thursday night. And we are now joined by the president of baseball operations for the Rays and newly extended, Eric Neander. Eric, first of all, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it certainly helps to work with a lot of great people and have great players. I figured you would start that way. Look, I know you don't like talking about yourself, but the fact that you and Kevin Cash were both extended at the same time, how important was that for you to do it in that way? 
Yeah, look, I, I think, I mean, I'm more concerned about Kevin making sure if this is a place he wants to be, he has a chance to be here, and we were able to achieve that. And, and, and for me, I said it the other day, you know, I, I really, truly, you know, love the people I work for, love the people I work with, staff and players alike. Um, this is home. And, uh, you know, uh, for me and my family, I don't know what more could you want than to have that type of experience. And we've won here and believe we can win a championship here. So, um, you know, the sequencing itself, no big deal. I'm just honored that um, there was an interest to, to keep me here. And I think that speaks to the work of a lot of really great people that we have. And obviously Kevin is among those. Why do you work well together? What do you think works well with the relationship you have, and why does it work? I want you to ask him that and see what kind of answer he can give. Uh, That's Andy's job. <laughs> he, uh, look, he is, we, we said this back when we hired him and he had no experience. Um, he's, he's authentic. He has incredible energy. He's consistent um, and has as rare a blend as there is of strength and humility. Um, he can command a clubhouse. He can lead. Um, but he's not afraid to be accountable to things he do differently, not afraid to, to find ways to do things better. Um, you know, this is his tenth season, and there's no part of him that feels like he has any of this figured out. And He doesn't give himself enough credit, but that type of um, perspective, so to speak, is, is really important for the continuation of our growth as an organization. And as we look forward to that growth, how would you characterize the offseason? What do you think stands out as we look from where – the season ended in October to now on February 15th. Yeah, look, from a competitive standpoint, we expect to be competitive. I think in terms of some of the transactions that we made, the trades we made, um, unique in the sense that we traded players away, uh, made some difficult decisions, but the players we brought in, by and large, there was a lot of profile replacement one for one, as it turned out. We weren't having to make multiple transactions to fill out kind of the, you know, the profiles of our club and how we like to balance our clubs. So um, less, um, you know, fewer accomplishments, you know, a little less experience, certainly. But when it comes to pure talent, uh, we really like what we have. And certainly you're bringing back 26 guys that hit 20 homers next last year. Really good defense up the middle, great bullpen. Um, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. Overall, what do you think are the big things you accomplished in the offseason coming into this year? Um, look, we were in a position where we had few free agents. Uh, so you're in a position where you had the chance to bring just about everybody back. And, you know, we brought back the vast majority of our group compared to, you know, I think a typical offseason. Certainly the trade with Tyler and Manuel was a difficult one. But um, to have an opportunity to bring in a starting pitcher and a right-handed hitting outfielder that, you know, we're always kind of trying to balance being as competitive as possible today, but for the foreseeable future. And, this is a trade that allows us to, to potentially achieve a really nice balance between both of those. As you look at your club on February 15th, and we took some questions on Twitter and Instagram at Neil Solon's Luke uh, Williamson asked, what are you most excited about with this group here on February 15th? How would you answer that? Uh, watching a team that has reached the postseason five consecutive years. Um, not all these players have been here for all five of those years. A lot of them haven't been here for that stretch. But there's an expectation that our team should reach the postseason when you do that. But there's also that desire and that hunger to, to take it a few steps further. And, you know, the, reaching the postseason has been great, but, you know, the, the outcomes we've had the last couple of years, not great upon getting there. And uh, you can feel the desire, the energy, um, the competitiveness and the standards, you know, being raised to, to achieve something greater than, than where we've been the last five years, which is also something to be proud about. 
What's your top big concern right now or your top concern at this stage? Oh, pitching, always pitching no matter what we have, and that's not an indictment on our group by any means. Um, having worked with Kevin for nine full seasons, uh, if, if I answered with, with anything other than pitching, um, we'd have a problem. So I'm going to say pitching just to support our manager. All right, then let's get to pitching, the innings puzzle. How do you go about figuring out knowing that you don't know when you're getting Jeffrey Springs back or Drew Rasmussen, Shane Boss is a little bit limited, how do you go about piecing that together? Yeah, look, every every year you go back and you look at over these last five, six seasons where, you know, five the five consecutive postseason appearances, each year when you look back at how the innings have come together, it's been it's been different. Um, I think this year's team, you know, you have a you have Zach Eflin, Savali, and Littell that we're bringing back that really established themselves. And then you have, you know, a few young, more ascending, well-prepared to be established arms like Taj Bradley, Ryan Pepio, Shane Boz hopefully gets to the other side of his surgery cleared. He finds his way in our mix as time goes on. And then obviously springs later. Um, so I think in terms of the numbers we have, we have more than enough to kind of make it work in the way that we look at this uh, and with some of the depth underneath. We, all, we also have a bullpen where... I think it's safe to say we'll probably have four guys out there that are really, you know, primarily work in one-inning capacities. Um, Fairbanks, Adam, Maton, Poche are all guys that I think will be three outs and outing, you know, and kind of be in that capacity. But the other spots, you probably see a lot of arms that are capable of going six outs, you know, potentially going nine when needed. Not always, but the Sean Armstrong, Clevenger, um, Davinsky, you know, Alexander's in that mix, Kevin Kelly. There's a lot of different ways you can cover innings without asking too much of any person, and it also allows us to be flexible when it comes to how the quality sorts out. One guy you didn't mention fits into the offseason acquisitions, that's Uwasawa. How does he fit in? How do you figure out how he fits in? Yeah, without question. He's part of that, you know, the, the additional group that we want to get some some time with this spring and, and get to know. I think someone that's, uh, you know, multiple all-star in Japan has carried 160, 170 innings, you know, three years running. Um, that's a really nice place to start. And our history with starters that are not overpowering uh, but have good movement on their fastball and have a deep repertoire, we've had a lot of success. They can command it, right, that have give you a lot of different options. We've had a lot of success bringing in players like that with our pitching group and finding a wrinkle that we can advance, you know, and take a step forward um, and help them find a higher gear. So he's someone that has had a lot of success, uh, early impressions of him, or he's really comfortable in our camp. He's happy to be there. We're honored that he wanted to be there, uh, and we're excited to see what we can do over the next six weeks as we get to know him and get to help him improve further. We talk about culture. What does it say about culture when he decided, A, come here on a minor league deal, and we didn't touch on it, but Tyler Glasnow also decided after you traded him, to come and say thank you, which most guys, after they get dealt, don't come to the home of the president of baseball operations to share an adult beverage or two. Yeah, look, I, I mean, these jobs, you have a job description. You know, we all have our job descriptions, and mine and, you know, as, as a front office and those that are involved in managing the roster, it also comes with making difficult decisions, and I think that's something you can own. You know, you can respect your people, you can respect your players, you can care for them. And when difficult decisions come, I think as long as you maintain that respect and that care, even when those decisions come around, um, you know, I think you come to learn that players appreciate it. And, you know, it, look, it's that's not just me. That's a lot of people that above and beyond, we, we care and we really pour ourselves into our players, and that pays off. It's a lot of people that enjoy doing this, enjoy working together, 
um, bringing in the right players and just letting that letting that go. It's hard. You're around each other every single day. Um, you got to want to do this. You got to like the people you're doing it with. And by and large, you know, we've had our bumps certainly, but we're fortunate to have people that that get along and, and want to be great. Phil Maton was a guy who wanted to join this group, and he came from a winning organization. He's been with Houston. He's been with Cleveland. Six and a half million is a lot for you guys to invest in a back-end reliever. So why make that investment in that area for this group, and how does he help your group get better? Yeah, look, it, uh, similar questions to, I think, that were asked about Eflin last year. We weren't seeking a starter last offseason. He's just one we identified that we felt very strongly about in our ability to help him and how he would impact our club. I think Phil's similar. We weren't hell-bent on adding a reliever at all costs. Um, he's someone that we identified that has been very good, has been durable, has had a great deal of success in the postseason, um, but also believe that his best is probably sitting right in front of him. And just someone we really appreciated and excited to bring in. So it wasn't that wasn't earmarked for any reliever that was out there and we must add someone that was very specific to to him and our assessment of him and how we think he can impact our club that brought us to another question i got on uh on twitter and instagram from jacob who said you guys do have your highest payroll now does that prevent you from still adding before opening day or from does it adjust what you can or can't do during season to augment the club if need be yeah i think we've we've been the We've had the benefit of having kind of payroll budgets um, that are that are fluid, you know, that have allowed us the opportunity to be opportunistic. Uh, <laughs> so um, that's been there. You know, we talked at the beginning this winter that we could have carried, we could have brought everybody back had we chosen that was in our best interest now and over the years ahead. So, um, you know, I think it's not always about the payroll. It's also the assessment of your players and your expectations for them and, the roster we have assembled, the roster spots, you know, 13 pitchers, 13 position players, how we're set up, um, I, I feel like and we feel like this is this is the right group for us to go into the season, but so long as there's opportunity to consider ways to get better, we'll do it, but feel pretty good about where we are. We touched on the kind of puzzle for pitching, and you made – you alluded or spoke about Davinsky and Alexander. There's also a chance they could be starters or bulk guys. What goes into deciding how they're utilized this year and how you do that during spring training? Yeah, I think, look, you, I think looking at our pitching group, Zach Eflin, Zach Littell, and Aaron Savali are pretty well solidified into three spots. Um, you got Taj Bradley, Ryan Pepio, two that we're really excited about over the many years ahead, uh, and we're hopeful, you know, very much in our mix this year. And then, you know, Uwasawa, um, you know, Brent McKay's throwing the ball well, Jacob Lopez, Jacob Wagus back, um, and, you know, we, we, we have a group, uh, you know, that we're interested to see in camp. And then Alexander Davinsky, you know, also. When it comes to those that don't have a ton of experience starting, and assessing how that comes together, really, it starts with their desire. They have to want to do it. I don't think asking someone to start that doesn't want to start, uh, usually I don't think that's going to go very well. Um, but in the case of Devo and Alexander, Alexander has some history starting, Devo less so recently, but has wanted to do it. Um, and so you start with that desire, and then you look at the depth of the repertoire, you know, how many pitches, you know, how many spots can they locate them, and then 
from there, yeah, the ability to throw strikes. So they have a feel for the baseball, you know, the side work, taking the ball every fifth day with work in between. You have a chance to grow them out from there. But it, to, to simplify a long-winded answer uh, for the person that asked that on Twitter and is never going to ask a question again if it takes this long to get a response, um, you got to be able to throw strikes. you got to have some depth to the repertoire. And most of all, you got to really want to do it. And then from there, it's an open mind from our part to see what it looks like. All right. Pitching and defense is still always the name of the game for you guys, and you have had to make an adjustment at shortstop with the Wander Franco situation, with Taylor Walls being out for the beginning, acquiring Jose Caballero. How do you figure first touch on what he brings to the table, and then how you figure out who's going to back him up, at least at the start of the season while you wait for Taylor to return? Yeah, I think looking at the shortstop position right now, uh, Caballero is someone that we've been pretty open from the time we acquired him in, into camp here that and that trade was made with the expectation that he can play shortstop. And if this camp is a success for us, for him, uh, he seizes that job out of the gates. Uh, who backs him up? What that looks like, that's very TBD. You know, Oslivas Basabe, um, I think for someone that just got thrust into it last year, did a really nice job of, of slowing the game down, you know, playing within himself, excited to see him in camp. You know, he might get looks at, you know, Curtis Mead, you know, Paredes, anyone that might be able to stretch our roster and the 13 position players to back up short, something we'll at least think about. So pretty wide open at this point in terms of where to go with Cabby. But like I said, we acquired Cabby to, to hopefully be that guy in the early going. And, you know, Walsey certainly can play it as well as anybody and should be back not too far out. Jose Siri was a guy who played very well when healthy, but he was on the IL twice. So as you figure out the whole up-the-middle situation, who is the backup center fielder, and is that something you look at in spring training? Yeah, that's a few. Uh, you know, that, that is something. We, we do our roster. We're bringing back a lot of players, but we have also have a little flexibility in terms of how it fits with some of the ascending, the younger players looking to establish themselves, some of the players we brought in, the Palacios, uh, DeLuca, um, you know, and so on. So I think when it comes to center field, series certainly has demonstrated the ability to take that position and, and lock it down. When it comes to backing up, you know, Josh Lowe's someone that has had plenty of experience out there. Um, we'll get plenty of looks, um, you know, because of that experience. Uh, and then Johnny DeLuca acquired from L.A. We'll want to get a nice look at him, you know, out there as well. So, um, you know, we have some options, you know, what starts on the big league club. You know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then you never know, like the Jake Mangum's guys we brought in to help fill out the depth from underneath, they'll also be in the mix, and yeah, it could come together a few different ways there. We move or stay with almost the spine of the defense. We've touched on shortstop and center field. The confidence that you have behind the plate in Rene Pinto, touch on why, because that's a question we've got a lot from fans. And then Marla Lambert and Robert O'Brien also asked us um, on Twitter and Instagram about pursuing additional catching depth, the chance of that happening during the spring. Yeah, I think... A few things on the the depth. We're, we're we're very we're cognizant of where our catching situation stands. And jokes about Kevin Cash, you know, being a player manager aside, and uh, going behind the plate. Um, yeah, we're going to continue to be on the lookout for depth. It's a hard position to to, to develop it and and to acquire it. Um, with with Renee, kind of going back towards the beginning there, um, he's somebody that we think has impact potential defensively and power potential with the bat um he's made well um he's been someone that has earned every opportunity through our system he wasn't a high, high profile prospect you know he wasn't handed opportunity he's earned opportunity so somebody that i think's made well for that position that really handles the staff well um puts in all the work behind the scenes all the things that aren't measurable but we believe are very important to that position he does those things well and 
somewhere, you know, across our 26-man roster. We'd love to have experience across the board. Experience matters. Um, but we can't have that and also have the talent we desire all at the same time. And this given iteration of our club in 2024, you know, Renee's someone that we think the best is right in front of him. We're going to grow with him a little bit. But um, the, the talent he has and, and where he is in his career, we feel like his, it's his time to, to have that opportunity and to seize it. You had a top three offense in baseball last year. As we kind of transition from run prevention to run scoring, what's realistic for this year's group? You do have a core of that group back. Yeah. Um, we have a good offense. Uh, we have a good team, you know, noted noted earlier on it. Um, you know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we're returning six players that hit 20-plus homers last year. Um AL batting champ, um, someone that I think would have finished third if they had enough at bats, and Harold Ramirez. So it's it's a good offensive group, and with players like Jonathan Aranda, Curtis Mead, you know, Junior Camonero, Johnny DeLuca, we have players coming from underneath or that aren't yet established that we think can add to it um, and replace a little bit of what we've lost. But um, yeah, look, it's a it's a dynamic group. They're athletic. Um, I think they're built for the way the game's evolving and the rule changes and. Excited to let them go out there and uh, replicate a lot of what they did last year, especially April. That kind of led into a question, one last question I wanted from a fan perspective, from Michael Barker, who noted DeLuca, Caballero, and Palacios that you acquired. All of them contact-driven. All of them have the ability to draw walks. Is that by design, or is that the way it worked out? And how important is that with the way the rules have changed in the game? Yeah, I think... uh, Maybe a little of both. Those are skills you appreciate in young players, especially, I think, in part-time opportunities, if that's where they start. Um, I think it's a little easier to be competitive when that's your skill set um, rather than, than, than power and perhaps a less refined approach um, at the plate. Uh, so, no, that's, you know, we, we appreciate that. And, you know, having made the difficult trade with Luke Raley, you know, getting a player we liked and we felt we needed, but in moving Luke, you know, Richie kind of helps to backfill that profile, but with some added flexibility. You kick to the infield, he does have an option. He's going to compete for a spot. We'll see how all that shakes out. Um, but, you know, just just a group that has a little flexibility um, in terms of how they can best fit and then just their offensive skill sets. Like I said, um, if somebody say hey, you're going to go out there play 162, go every day, I think a lot of different profiles can play. But if those first opportunities might be a little bit more infrequent, um, those are skill sets you can appreciate and I think are better suited for that kind of work. You speak about creating lanes for players, and you touched on a lot of young players. You're trying to gain that opportunity. Aranda, Mead, DeLuca, Caminero. Are there enough lanes? Because you also mentioned you don't want a young player to play twice a week. Yeah, no, without question. That's that's the trickiness of, of kind of where we are. And you think about someone like Curtis Mead that had AAA time in 2022, 2023, um, you know, and it's like you look at your returning Paredes, you got Brandon Lau, you have Yandy Diaz, right? Like, not a whole lot of room for someone like him, but also, like, all right, you know, is he someone you want to put back in AAA to get reps on a third season, you know, or is it time to consider him in a part time role if that's what it is? And I think, at least out of the gates with everyone healthy, looking at our roster, the realities are the roles that are available are part time roles. But I think there comes a point where, you know, that's what you have, um, and they have enough underneath them that. Their candidates for those roles, but certainly, um, if they don't have as much AAA experience as someone like Curtis might have, I think it's a lot more important that they get those regular reps until something opens up or a little more time has gone by. 
you mentioned at the top you want to get to the postseason, but you want to do more. This year's group does what you want if what things happen during the course of this year. Uh, going back to the pitching, we really like the group that we have. Um, it's it's a group that there are you know a handful that are established and have proven track records and then there's a handful that are very gifted physically um, but you really want to see them establish themselves this year good health and those younger you know the Taj Bradley Ryan Pepio um, you know Shane Boz as the year progresses ideally if they if they settle in and are impact arms the way we think they have the potential to be as soon as this year That'll, that'll put us in a really good position, given some of the more experienced options we have in the pen and, and certainly with the position player group. Uh, I'm glad you dressed for the occasion, and I appreciate dressed for the occasion. And, I, and I appreciate a few minutes. I'm sure we'll talk to you plenty. Thank you, Neil, and for those on Twitter that submitted questions. All right, that's Eric Neander, president of Baseball Operations. When we return, we'll hear from Andy Freed with Kevin Cash. We want to remind you to join your Rays in Port Charlotte for spring training, presented by Visit Tampa Bay. To see the whole schedule and purchase tickets, go to RaysBaseball.com slash spring. Again, Andy Freed with Kevin Cash after this on the Rays Radio Network. We are counting down to opening day for the Rays season 2024. It is finally here, and it is so enjoyable to be back again with the manager, Kevin Cash. And, Kevin, first of all, it is good to see you again, and congratulations on the contract extension. Uh, the, the fact that you've been here and seen this rebuild of the organization and have seen it through and out all these postseasons in a row has to be satisfying. And to know that you'll be here for the foreseeable future, I would hope, is a, a very good feeling for you. It is a uh, very good feeling and good to see you as well. Uh, look, this is a special place to work. I think I've said, said that for many, many years now, and it's just that much more special that uh, I get to keep doing a little bit longer and appreciate Stu and Lisa Sternberg and Matt Silverman, Brian Ald, and obviously uh, Eric Neander for allowing me to continue. I was going to ask you about him, and he gets an extension as well too, and what is it about your two's partnership? I mean, you always defer praise to your coaches, to Eric, to everyone, but Eric specifically, what do you think makes him so good at what he does? I think just the, his perspective. It's a balanced perspective. He understands what we're trying to accomplish, and he understands how challenging a lot of things that you know pop up through arise this season. So we're able to have those conversations. Sometimes they're difficult conversations. Sometimes his opinion is different than mine, uh, and that's okay because I feel like we're, we're constantly trying to make our team better, and sometimes you're not going to agree on everything but when we go home at night we know we have the best intentions uh for the next day they say as you get older time gets faster and it does and it is hard for me to sit here and say you're the longest tenured manager now in major league baseball i mean what shoots through your mind when that i mean when someone said that i looked it up to make sure i'm like eh, he's up there right nope number one what goes through your mind when you think of that uh, brown hair to gray hair. Uh, but you know what? So fortunate that, look, we've had some pretty successful runs here the last uh, five years, whatever it is, to get to the postseason. Really, really good teams. And I think the players are what comes to mind. The, all the guys you get to know, you get to build some pretty special relationships with, and you get to be a part of winning with them. And our goal is to win, and these guys have certainly done that. Could it have been any better for you personally in terms of when you decided you wanted to manage, you get the opportunity, it's in your own backyard, and to get to say your longest tenured and know you'll be here for a time, personally that's really special and pretty unique within the game it is very unique and then you add that this organization was in a really good spot when i was able to fortunate enough to come on board um so it 
there's a lot of uniqueness to it. It is, you know, seeing family and friends at the ballpark every night. That's made it that much more special. Uh, and these jobs are coveted jobs. To get the opportunity to do it now for a 10th season, uh, I'm very grateful for. And many more to come. We're visiting with Kevin Cash on our Countdown to Opening Day radio show. How long did it take you to get past the short exit, or the quick exit, I should say, from the postseason? I, I found myself thinking about it a lot, and then I watched the Rangers through the postseason and thought, well, they were the hottest team. They wrote a couple of really hot pitchers. It stung to, to be exited that early, but it showed that they were a good team. But how do you make sense of it now looking back? Yeah, look, congrats to the Rangers. A very good team, and we saw it firsthand right when the postseason started. It was challenging. It was tough. There was a lot that went on last year. Uh, but anytime you know you have a team that wins, pushing 100 wins with 99, and you get eliminated quickly, and we didn't play our best baseball and representative baseball the last two games of the season, of our season, it was frustrating. So it took a little bit longer than maybe I would have liked. I enjoyed watching the postseason, a bunch of great teams. But every inning I watched of the postseason, I was wishing that we were in it. That's the thing. Once you make it, it, it hurts when you, when you have the early exit. All right, let's talk about this team coming up. Spring training is finally here. Uh, there's so many questions going on, but I like to start at catching because you're a former catcher, of course. You look at the 40-man. There's one guy on it, Rene Pinto. I'm curious, looking back at last season, was there a point that you and the staff, I imagine, recognized this could be a lead catcher? Yeah, look, the last time that we called him up, he had a couple up and downs, and then he stuck with us and contributed. We looked at him, uh, myself and Tomas Francisco, who does our catching in season, this is your staff. Let's go make the most of it. I think and I hope that gave him some confidence. He's going to confidence. He's going to have the same message this spring training. Uh, we're going to lean on him heavily. Our pitchers absolutely love throwing to him because he cares so much and they know the benefit of how he can shut down a running game. He can he blocks the ball very well and he receives pitches well. And then you look at the the offense. Uh, I think Mark Topkin and I have discussed what he did over his short little amount of plate uh, plate appearances was pretty impressive. It, it projects out really well and that doesn't mean you know six home runs is going to turn into 30 but you got to start from somewhere and thought that he made adjustments he was a better hitter at the end of the season than when he was when he came up defense comes first though Uh, I would think you know I've heard you say before you got to hit a little bit Uh, and I think it seems pretty sure that he probably will Uh, you mentioned all the things he does well as a catcher but is there something, and you've been a lead catcher, you've been a backup catcher, is there something within the personality that you have to have as a catcher saying, look, this is my group out there, these are my pitchers? Yeah, I mean, look, you got to balance quite a bit. You have to hear the messages, for, obviously, from Tomas. you got to hear the messages from Kyle Snyder, our pitching coach, who's those are invaluable messages. He's the best in baseball. And you got to also retain the messages from each individual pitcher to know what makes them tick, how you can help them in the heat of the moment, in those high-leverage situations. And I think Renee's reps last Last year are only going to benefit him and us. What about backup catcher? It's interesting to look at on MLB.com and just see the one guy there. Where are the Rays right now heading into spring training backup catcher-wise? You know, it's, it's interesting. We don't have a penciled-in backup. I think it's fair to say Alex Jackson is probably the front runner for that job. We'll see how spring unfolds, but this might be our strongest group of spring training catchers that we've had. There's some youth in there uh, between Dom Keevan, uh, Piper, Logan Driscoll. There's some guys that we really like and hopefully are – going to do some big things this this year in the minor leagues a couple of positions to touch on as we visit with kevin cash here on our countdown to opening day radio show one of them is shortstop obviously wander is not here right now taylor walls has had uh the surgery and he may be out maybe you could get us up to date on him the acquisition too of caballero safe to say he's the lead shortstop and if so how do you see that position airing out 
Yeah, I think that's very safe to say. He's the lead shortstop. And watching him these early days, he got into camp early. He's done a nice job of taking ground balls. He looks the part. It's a high-energy player. I think he's going to fit really well with our group. We're going to work hard to get Walsey back as soon as possible, but we want him healthy. And then once we get Walsey back, then there's some discussions to be made. But if you look at Caballero and his track record, it's a contact bat that does a lot offensively. He's got a lot of speed. He can steal bases. Really should be a big part of our offense. Offense and defense. When I look at the group positionally and I see some guys in there that are everyday guys, and we know the Rays are known for moving guys around, but when you have Yandi at first and Rosarena at left and Paredes at third and Siri in center and now Pinto at catcher and, and Josh Lowe doing what he's done, there's a real establishment group in there that I think should be interesting and at least should give this team confidence moving forward that they're pretty solid at a lot of positions right now. And I don't mean to leave out B-Lau either. Yeah, and we got to have a healthy B-Lau because he adds uh, a component to our offense that maybe we missed at the end of last year. We can't forget, this is a team that had a lot of success last year and a lot of those players are coming back. Yandi had a career year. Randy, it's kind of a model of consistency what he does, where he ends up year to year, 2020. Uh, there's some excitement around some of the youth that's coming in, but Josh Lowe is probably the guy right now on my mind. He took such a big step forward last year. Uh, if he takes another step like that, we're talking about a super talented player that you can build around. Even if he keeps doing what he just did, that's still a, a major step forward from a consistency standpoint. Was it his? And this may be a better question for Eric, but in your mind, was Josh Lowe's consistency what could allow you to trade someone like Luke Raley, who everybody loved and he had a great year, but I would, I'm guessing, and I'm curious your thoughts, the fact that Lowe is so good that the same, you know, both left-handed hitters, uh, that that allows you to trade, really, to get somebody else that the team really needed. Yeah, we needed Caballero. We needed a shortstop. He fit the bill, and I think we're going to really enjoy watching him play throughout spring training and, and in, into the season. Uh, there's no doubt. Luke Rayleigh, we say it all the time. To get a good player, you got to trade a, Luke, uh, a good player. Luke Rayleigh was a very good player. Wish him well. And I also think it presents opportunities for Johnny Aranda. It's probably time for Johnny Aranda to get a consistent runway, a little bit of a consistent path, because what we've asked of him, you could you know, borderline say it hadn't been fair. He has not played off the bench. He has not pinch hit. He's been an everyday player, and he's checked every box in Durham. Let's see what he can do getting everyday at bats. Positionally, you have those those guys that we said are mostly everyday players, but then you've got those young guys like Mead, like Aranda. I don't want to put too much pressure on them, but I almost get the feeling in my mind that if those guys can do what you think, then this team takes off. Uh, if not, then you know there are some some guys that were traded away. So how much pressure really is? Uh, on those young guys to perform the way the organization is hoping that they do. Yeah, look, I think they're going to put the most pressure on themselves. We've seen young guys come up, uh, not perform maybe like they did in Durham. We understand that's going to happen. That's part of it. But we know they're talented players. And Curtis Mead, he looks great. He's got his uh, body. I mean, his, he's always looked good, but he's stronger. He's worked on his defense. His swing looks good right now. And that's what we said at the press conference. There's a freshness about this camp of seeing some young players and and some new acquisitions that are really going to put a charge into our overall camp. How do you plan on working Mead in defensively? Where does he slide it? I think he's going to play a lot of second base for us. We'll put him at third base, obviously, and we're also going to use some opportunities to get him at shortstop and see if he can spell behind Caballero at times. Uh, the more versatility that we can have, the better. All right, let's talk about pitching as we visit with Kevin Cash, manager of the Rays, on our Countdown to Opening Day radio show. 
I don't want to start by saying, look who's not here, but Glass now is not here. He was traded. Uh, and it's interesting, too. And, and look, now I'm looking at positionally. I, I glossed over DeLuca. Uh, but what the Rays got back, Glass now, Margot, and getting back DeLuca and Pepio. Trying to think of other years. I mean, you got guys that s- seem to slide directly into those spots. Is that a fair assessment? Pepio and Glasnow's spot, DeLuca and Margot's spot. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is fair. They're, and they're similar, like, you know, DeLuca playing out all the outfields, being a right-handed hitter, really came on strong last year in the minor leagues. Uh, Pepio, we're all excited to see. No denying that. We don't want to put pressure on them because of who they got traded for and Tyler and Manny Margot, big pieces of our team. Uh, but in theory, it certainly shapes up that way that it was kind of a two-for-two two package and two-for-two two similar. we got to allow these guys time to establish themselves as big league players. It was hard to not fall in love with what Zach Eflin did last year. He is the head of this rotation. He's the most experienced of all the pitchers. And, uh, I mean, what more could you ask for than what he gave you in 2023? Yeah, I mean, somehow if he can mirror it, we'll be uh, incredibly grateful because he was awesome. He was the kind of the stability uh, in our rotation from, from opening day on. Uh, and then after that, you know, we've got some other guys. Zach Littell came on strong. Aaron Savali. We talked about Pepio. We, uh, Taj Bradley, who really made a really quality impression coming up. It's a lot to like. Very talented. And then the, some of the guys that Eric acquired and the, the, the guys acquired in the offseason, whether it's Tyler Alexander, uh, Jake Wagespach, Uwe Sama, who we were always getting excited to see. Um, and Chris Davinsky, there's talk of stretching him out a little bit, get to that three-inning mark, see where these guys go. If their stuff continues to to spike, then we'll tack on innings. We've seen to have some success doing it. I wanted to ask you about Uwasama because we're all getting to know him here in the springtime, and uh, he could be, it sounds like, in a number of different roles. You said, too, I saw it on online, he looks so young, you forget how experienced he is. What can he bring to the group and are you just going to be learning about him here over the next six weeks? Yeah, a lot of learning, but he's as built up as any pitcher we have in camp. He's been a starting pitcher for many, many years now, uh, and he gets there with a ton of pitchability. He can, you know, ride the ball at the top of the zone, sink it below the zone, split. I mean, I think he's got like a repertoire of six, seven pitches, so Renee's going to have to use both hands to get all the pitches down, uh, but what was impressive is meeting him. He is a big, big personality, very excited to be here. And I think, fortunately for us, we have a guy like Kyle because that was a big draw to come work with Kyle Snyder. I was going to bring that up. You know, for you go way back in the organization, and I do now too. And to think of pitchers, even pitchers from the other countries saying, well, the Rays and their reputation and Kyle Snyder. Isn't it funny to kind of take a step back and, I don't know, funny is the, not the right word, but just kind of, satisfying to look and see how far this organization has come pitchers want to come to the Rays because of a tremendous track record. Yeah, great track record. There's a lot of pitching coaches that play a role in that, certainly in player development, but it is, it's fun to brag about Kyle. It's fun to brag about our pitching department and because you hear that, uh, well, I've heard that for many off-seasons, the interest is there. All right, a couple of young guys, you touched on them maybe more a little specifically. Taj Bradley came up didn't stick at first, even though he had some success, went back, and then when he came back to the big leagues, he was, as we're saying about everything, here to stay. Uh, And he is a big part of things. What do you think he learned last year? And maybe it's a better question for him, but from your standpoint, what did he learn last year to have you think that, hey, this is a guy that is now definitely ready 
to be in a big league rotation. Well, I think he proved enough that he, he's got the stuff to compete. And you go back and you look at some of his outings, the, the crooked number outings where he gave up some runs, they seem to come in one inning. So it, it's kind of like hopefully he learned how to take a, take a deep breath, step off the mound, uh, and, and, and stop, stop it when it starts to unravel. And it's going to unravel. All young pitchers, all great pitchers have those moments. And I think Taj is going to be that much better for it. Pepio, we've seen video of him. Uh, his stuff looks tremendous. How does he slide into this rotation? Seems like he's one of those guys, too, and again, that's looking at it from across the country. He's kind of done everything you need to do in the minors. Is it just time for him to break through to the majors? I think so, and it, 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 you know, it's bottle up the health. There's no doubt he had an interesting year last year with the oblique and the intercostal strain, but uh, he certainly looks healthy now. I watched him throw his bullpen today. He's going to fit right in really, really well with our entire pitching group. Very driven to be, to be good. A couple other guys to touch on here. Littell, you, you mentioned him. When I think of last year, when all those injuries came in and it was the latter couple of months of the season, I don't, well, I don't think the team wins 99 games if he doesn't uh, come up with what he did. And he didn't, he didn't get a whole lot of run support, too. What did he do to improve where suddenly he became... I don't know, maybe one of the last guys in the pen to suddenly one of your lead starters. Yeah, look, uh, second half of the year, you can make the argument he might have been the MVP of the uh, of the team. Definitely the pitching staff, how he took to it. We've seen uh, some experiences with Rass and Springs getting stretched out and being successful starters. Latell kind of did the same thing and he did it in pretty dominant fashion being so efficient and not giving up runs he's a guy that loves to throw the ball over the plate he's going to let the defense work behind him our defenders love playing behind him because it's a fast pace here it is hit it approach and and let some athletic guys catch the ball and convert them into outs with some of those other guys you mentioned waga spock lopez who we saw and we saw him out west and pitch well against the giants uh and and uh Davinsky getting stretched out a little bit could we see some more opening situations as the year goes? Last year, a year ago, we were saying we got all five guys and then pitchers go down with injury and then you're forced into it. But could we be back to a little bit more of an opening situation for certain certain spots? Shane Boz is a, a guy that probably needs to be built up a little bit. So uh, could we see some of that again? Yeah, I, I would never rule it out. And I, I got to be honest, we haven't had many conversations about that yet. But I think it's a fair question given the personnel that we've brought in. You mentioned Shane Boz. He's going to be on a slower pace. Eric has kind of gotten out front of that. We've talked to Shane. Uh, it's going to be a very slow spring training for him. And then once we get into the season, he'll start his buildup. But at all accounts right now, he's pumping 95, 96 miles an hour in his bullpens. We're just going to have to kind of put the brakes on just a little bit. A few remaining moments here with the Rays manager, Kevin Cash, on our countdown to opening day radio show. And, uh, and Skipper, let's touch on the bullpen a little bit. I felt very good about the acquisition of Phil Maton, not only because the Rays – have seen him over the years at a great couple of different kind of breaking balls. Uh, it adds some experience, adds a guy with playoff experience, and I just don't think you can ever have too many good pitchers in your bullpen. We've seen that throughout the years. How important do you think his signing is to the Rays? What you just said, the last part of it, you can never have enough good pitchers. Bullpen starters, that's very true, and I, I agree with you. And Phil is going to bring a guy, you know, we, we've got a lot of bullpen relief, uh, relief pitchers that have the, the you know, playoff experience. We're adding one that's got a ton of playoff experience, and you look at his playoff track record, it's pretty pristine. Uh, talked to him the other day. He doesn't care where he pitches. He's very. He's going to slot right in with our group that's pretty selfless. How can I help win a game? And he likes the ball. He likes to pitch. You look at his appearances, and it's just going to complement Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, Colin Poche, a bunch of guys that have done some really good things for us over the years. That's 7-8. You know, there was a time last year 
when it got to be almost formulaic with your bullpen when Bob Stevenson was here too, Poche, Adam, and Fairbanks. I don't know if they get enough credit nationally in terms of how locked down they were uh, as a relief core last year. And that eases your mind when there's a lead come the seventh inning. It eases every manager's mind when you know you got that type of quality coming out of the bullpen uh, and to know, you know, that, that they have basically remained healthy. And I think we've done, we've worked really hard to keep them fresh year after year. Their workloads we've monitored very well, and right now they all look pretty special. Is there a sense of when Jeff Springs and uh, Drew Rasmussen could return? We're hearing maybe late July for Springs, maybe August for Rasmussen. Is that a fair assessment here in February? I think that's fair, uh, but I, I think it's very early to tell. Springs, he's throwing bullpens. He looks great. Rass, I believe, is out to 90, 100 feet playing catch, so all good signs. Uh, but these are big parts of our team, big parts of our future, and we'll continue to take it you know, week to week to figure out what's best for them. All right, what do you want to accomplish over the next six weeks until March 28th? I'd like to be healthy first and foremost. I say that every spring. And then this is a unique spring in the fact that we are seeing some guys, younger players that I'm not that familiar with, and some new acquisitions. So let them go play and see how we can come together as a team. How important is that freshness that you're talking about? Because the hitters are ready to go maybe by early March. The pitchers, you got to get stretched out. How important is that freshness? And how much is the group looking forward to the trip to the Dominican in spring training? That should be special. Yeah, it's going to be very special to get to go down there, represent Major League Baseball, two good teams with the Red Sox and the and obviously the Tampa Bay Rays. I haven't taken roll call on who's going yet. We'll figure that out as we get closer. I'm guessing Randy's probably going to want to go to build his fan base up a little bit. But that type of freshness, that excitement, you need that energy because spring training can get long and I don't feel like this one will. And final thought, have you looked at all at the rest of the teams in the American League East? Do you think about or care what they're doing, or do you just focus on your own core? No, nah, you, you always care about what they're doing. They're uh, four very talented teams, and we know that we have our work cut out, but that adds to the excitement of spring training and then getting the season rolling. It's one of the joys of my job, getting a chance to talk to you, Skip. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, enjoy the next six weeks. And we'll be counting down to opening day. You got it. Thanks, Andy. And we go from race manager Kevin Cash now to the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. And thank you so much for joining us here. What does spring training mean to you? You're you're the head cheese, but you're also a fan of the game. What does this time of year mean to you? Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the most exciting times of the year. Um, you get this sense of anticipation starting again. Um, and I think particularly given the year we had last year, um, I'm really looking forward to 24. And, and the game itself really is on an uptick attendance-wise, viewership-wise. Give us a mini, if you could, state of the game on where baseball is and its fandom. Well, I think the most important thing um, is the rule changes last year. Um, the players did a phenomenal job adjusting. The umpires, you know, managed a game that, is much more complicated for them than it was. They really did a great job. And most importantly, I think we delivered to our fans the brand of baseball they wanted. It's what our research showed, and we think we delivered it. Um, I, it really important milestone for us. We got back above 70 million people last year, um, and we're looking to do that again this year. Baseball is not something that makes quick changes. Quite often there's, there's a mulling over that can take a long time. Did you expect the universal popularity. I don't know a single person in the game that said they didn't like the rules. I can't think of another time that there's been a rule change or something that that dramatic where it was so universally praised. Well, you know, I I, I do think um, part of the reason for that was the process, which was long. You know, we experimented extensive. I think we played 8,000 games in the minor leagues with these rules. 
Um, we refined them. Um, it gave players on their way up an opportunity to play under the rules, so it wasn't all foreign. Um, we had great input from the joint committee with um, the players and the umpires in terms of how the rules should work. And, um, you know, I think that process, while, you know, for some of us a little longer than we might have hoped, um, helped us at the end of the day. Would you call it a slight tweaking for this year? Just pretty much the same, but, but, but a little bit different. I think the right way to describe it is tweaks. We, we, we felt like, you know, last year was dramatic change. Um, you, you know, we felt like um, we should make some adjustments, uh, but not introduce another major set of changes just give things a chance to settle your thoughts on the the possibility and what we're hoping a probability of a new ballpark here in the tampa st pete area what does this market mean for baseball and what will it allow the game to do if the stadium thing happens the way we're hoping it does well i believe the tampa bay market's a major league city um you know i've been absolutely consistent um in, in that view and i see the potential project in st pete as a huge opportunity um you know Stu. Sternberg and his team have done a great job putting a competitive product on the field. I think a new stadium will help that organization take the next step forward. The wild card series and the expanded playoffs, did, has that gone the way you had hoped and where do you see that going in the future? Yeah, I really, it has gone the way we hoped. I think um, our last two Septembers have been absolutely outstanding for us and, and it's not that hard to figure out. More teams in the hunt, more people stay interested in September and, you know, I think the two out of three series is an improvement over the one game. We had you on in 2016 when we went to Cuba and now we're going to the Dominican in, uh, in here 2024. Your thoughts on the global expansion of the game and even on top of that how many players from around the world now call major league baseball in america their home well i think that um the bedrock of trying to internationalize the game is a willingness to take our sport live to places where it's not played you know you're going to see it this year seoul the dominican uh, uh london you know really really important mexico um to go to to these places that don't have major league baseball every day um, I think it's particularly important because we have great diversity in our workforce. It's great to have players from so many different countries and so many players from certain countries. Absolutely. And my final thought to you is, you know, we, we're part of the communications group in baseball. We communicate baseball on the radio and TV. There's not time to cover all of them, I'm sure, but where do you see baseball heading, and other sports for that matter, with regard to communicating the game? Streaming, TV situations, it's all changing. You know, when I was a kid, and probably when you were a kid, I'm guessing it was the transistor under the covers at night. Now, my son wakes up, he's 14, and the first thing he does is go to MLB.com and, and, and consumes his baseball that way. Where do you see communication in baseball moving towards the future? I'd say two things. Um, our number one priority has to be reach. Um, we need to let our fans watch what they want to watch, when they want to watch it, regardless of geography. Um, secondly, with respect to young people like your son, I just we need to be on the platforms where they are. They're not, you know, making them come to you is not a good strategy. You have to be where they are. We thank you so much. We hope to see you during the season and uh, have a great year. Thanks. That's Commissioner Rob Manfred, and we'll be back with more to talk about Rays Baseball 2024 as our Countdown to Opening Day show continues here on the Rays Radio Network. And welcome back to Countdown to Opening Day. Chris Adams-Wall joined once again by Andy Freed and Neil Solons. But first, don't miss a pitch during the 2024 season with a Rays season membership. With either a traditional or flexible plan, 
You'll have an option that best fits your needs. Visit RaysBaseball.com slash season membership. So, guys, obviously outstanding to hear from both Kevin Cash and Eric Neander. And as you guys touched on, two guys who are also here to stay. We have that that new podcast where we're talking about the, the new ballpark and the historic gas plant development. But what does it mean that the Rays are retaining two guys like Kevin Cash and Eric Neander, Andy? Stability. Uh, how in the world, by the way, has Kevin Cash become the longest tenured manager in the game? <laughs> but he is, and at such a young age, too. I mean, he you think about it, he, what a great career after his career as a player to be in his hometown as the manager uh, help oversee this team reviving itself and becoming a yearly contender uh, and and wants to be here as long as possible to help bring the world championship parade back to uh, or into Tampa Bay for the first time in Major League Baseball and Eric has come up through the ranks Uh, I can't imagine there's anyone around that knows more about the inner workings of raised baseball operations than Eric Neander, and he's the guy at the head of it. And, and Neil, to me, for all the changes that come and go with this franchise player-wise, and I, I remind people, too, it's not just the Rays. Many teams, if not most, have a lot of comings and goings in the off-seasons. The base is there, and the stability is there now in the manager's chair and the front office. And it's not only about stability, Andy. It's about success, and it's about culture. I mean, Chris mentioned at the top, this franchise has gone to the postseason five straight years. And there's only other three other teams in Major League Baseball who are on that current run light right now. And the only team in the American League that has done it is Houston. So, I mean, it puts you in an upper-level atmosphere in terms of, you know, the other teams in this league. So I think that's important. And the other thing, you know, Chris, you've been down in spring training for the first few days. I think it's just great, too, that we're back in Port Charlotte. And we have the closest thing to a normal spring training that we've had since 2019. And, and I think that will help this group, too. So stability with, with uh, Eric and, and Kevin, for sure. They're both great at what they do. They're elite at what they do. They have terrific staffs. But more than that, they have good players. And let's go. Let's go see these good players in Port Charlotte. Let's go. Stability in the broadcast booth, too. Andy Freed's 20th season just around the corner. And we will be back with you for our next episode of Countdown to Opening Day. That'll be on February 24th, just ahead of the Rays' showdown, their first spring training game, this one against the Atlanta Braves to kickstart the 2024 season. The producers of Countdown to Opening Day are Chris Miller and Becca Carney, with assistance from Max Tanzer and Jared Greenspan. For Andy Freed and Neil Solons, I'm Chris Adams-Wall saying goodbye. Don't forget to come and check out FanFest, though, at Tropicana Field on Saturday. You can find all that information and a lot more if you go to RaysBaseball.com slash FanFest. And we will see you on Saturday. Until then, good night, everybody. You're listening to the Rays Radio Network. Thank you for listening to Countdown to Opening Day. As this ball is blasted to straightaway center, this ball is long gone. If you missed any of the show, download it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Speaking of the Jungle Cruise, that one is into the jungle. Well into it for Randy Arozarena's 19th home run of the season. Opening day will be here before you know it. Swing and a miss. He struck him out and the Rays win. For tickets, visit RaysBaseball.com.